Matthew chapter 6, verse 5. And we'll stand for the reading of the Word of God. And when thou prayest, thou shalt not be as the hypocrites are, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and in the corners of the streets that they may be seen of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. But thou, when thou prayest, enter into thy closet, and when thou hast shut thy door, pray to thy Father which is in secret, and thy Father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. But when you pray, use not vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think that they shall be heard for their much speaking. Be not ye therefore likened to them, for your Father knoweth what things you have need of before you ask him. After this manner, therefore, pray ye, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. For if ye forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if ye forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Father, we love you. We're thankful for the privilege that we have to minister this morning in the name of Jesus. Lord, we want to stand and represent you before this congregation. We pray for that anointing that makes the difference. We ask you, Lord, to help your people this morning. Bless them, Jesus, through the Word of God. Edify the, the body of Christ. Lord, may we give you the glory and all the honor and all the praise for all the good that's done. In the name of Jesus, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. You may be seated. I want to preach this morning for a few minutes on, maybe for more than a few minutes, but on prayer is a family affair. My text is located, of course, in the Sermon on the Mount, which Jesus was teaching his disciples the ethics of his kingdom. And the righteousness that's described in this sermon is possible only through divine enablement. And I think that that's one reason why the Lord taught so much on prayer in this Sermon on the Mount is because none of this is possible except through divine power mediated to us through prayer and through the Spirit of God. And I think it's important to think of the Lord's Prayer that's given to us here as a pattern for our praying. I don't think really that Jesus intended for our praying to consist only of this prayer prayed verbatim. But I don't think there's anything wrong with praying this prayer verbatim on occasions. And, you know, one night at, in our devotions at home, I thought uh, I would pray this prayer verbatim. So I began praying this prayer. Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. I thought, oops. This is a morning prayer. <laughs> Not an evening prayer. And uh, it just suddenly hit me. Hey, this is a morning prayer. Give us this day our daily bread. And uh, I think the Lord intends for us to be morning prayers, don't you? 
So this is a very powerful prayer. It was stated to it by Christ and my, the song that my wife played there is one of my favorite songs. I love that song, The Lord's Prayer. And I think that we should do more than just memorize the words of this prayer. I think we should incorporate the various elements of this prayer into our daily regimen of prayer. And a, a careful study of this pattern of prayer, I think, will enrich our prayer life and make our praying more productive and more pleasing to the Lord. I want to focus on the family connection that's mentioned in this prayer. The prayer is addressed to God, but the disciple of Jesus is privileged to call God Father. So our prayer begins with our Father. This is a simple, but it is a sublime truth that we can call God our Father. And this is the foundation, really, of all fruitful praying. My Creator is also my Heavenly Father. And really, my praying is dependent on my recognition of this truth and its implications, that God is my Father. And I want to demonstrate that effective praying is dependent upon at least these three things. First of all, adoption into the family of God. We are children of God by adoption. Secondly, affection for the family of God. And thirdly, access to the wealth of our God. So first of all, I want you to see that effective praying is dependent upon our being adopted into the family of God. Not all people can call God their Father in the sense that's intended by Jesus in my text. It's true that all men have God as their Father in the sense that He's the Creator of all men, but Jesus is speaking here of a spiritual relationship, and not all men can call God Father in the sense that Jesus intended here. A father has children who share his nature, and who bear some resemblance to their father. Jesus, remember, you remember Jesus rebuking the Pharisees in John chapter 8 and verse 44. He said, Ye are of your father the devil, and the lust of your father ye will do. He was a murderer from the beginning, and abode not in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own. For he is a liar and the father of it. Jesus divided the world into two camps. The children of the devil and the children of God. And as the children of God, we possess the nature of God. When we were the children of the devil, we possessed the nature of the devil. Everybody possesses one or the other. And prayer is not really confined to the children of God. The children of the devil pray as well. In verse 5, Jesus mentions the prayer of hypocrites. And when thou prayest, thou shalt not be as the hypocrites are, for they love to pray. Standing in the synagogues and in the corners of the streets that they may be seen of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. In other words, the hypocrite prays, 
even loves to pray, but not to be heard of God, but to be admired by men. And the honor that he receives from his fellow man is the reward of his praying. And really heaven has no response to the praying of the hypocrite. In verse 7, Jesus mentions the prayers of the heathen. The heathen pray as well. When you pray, use not vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think that they shall be heard for their much speaking. So the hypocrite and the heathen both pray. Now the hypocrite is that person who has enough knowledge of the truth to give a false impression of believing and conforming to the truth. And some are able to escape detection in the body of Christ and they blend in with true believers until the judgment where Jesus will make the distinction between the goats and the sheep and the, sh- the tares and the wheat. I had a teacher in high school, fresh out of college, came out with all these humanistic ideas in her head and she uh, told me that she was an agnostic. An agnostic is someone who doesn't know, you know. Just got out of college and she didn't know. But an agnostic is somebody that says, I don't know whether there's a God or not. But in that year, we had a couple of tornadoes that come through our area. And both of them went through her community. And so I was in the office. I worked in the office after school. And the assistant principal was talking to this teacher. And he asked her, he said, what were you doing when these tornadoes came through your community? She said, I was in my closet praying. You've heard the the old saying, there are no atheists in foxholes. I tell you, brother, even heathens pray. Hypocrites pray. The heathen either lacks the knowledge of the true and living God, or he has rejected the revelation of God. He worships idols. He worships lifeless forms that lack any quality of deity. You remember Paul saying to the Galatians, you worshiped gods which were no gods. They didn't have the quality of deity. And the heathen prays to a God who cannot see or hear or answer and doesn't seem to notice how ridiculous his religion is because he's in abject darkness. But both of these are children of the devil and they recognize that prayer is essential to worship. The hypocrite and the heathen pray. Really, there are very few people in the world who do not pray. But there are also very few people whose prayers are rightly directed and properly motivated and who get answers to prayer. I read recently in a book on prayer where the author took issue with the claim of this man in John chapter 9 and verse 31 where he said that we, we know that God Heareth not sinners, but if any man be a worshiper of God and doeth his will, him he heareth. The preacher rejected this statement. He said in part because this man 
was recently healed of blindness by Jesus, but was unaware of who healed him until Jesus found him and identified himself to him. So he said, this man didn't know what he was talking about. But this man was raised in an environment where he came in contact with the truth. And the truth was, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. And he that turneth away his ear from hearing the law, even his prayer shall be an abomination. So it seems clear to me that the heathen and the hypocrite pray in vain. Now the reason why they pray in vain is because they cannot call God Father. That's the reason they pray in vain. They cannot call God Father. This makes all the difference in the world. There's the possibility that the hypocrite and the heathen can change families. And, you know, all of us probably were in one camp or the other at one time. Either a heathen or a hypocrite. But you can change families, thank God. When a person truly believes in Jesus, we can all say, God is my Father. Hallelujah. The Bible says in John chapter 1, verses 11 and 12, He came into His own, His own received Him not. But as many as received Him, to them gave He power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on His name. God has given us the power to become sons and daughters of God through faith in Jesus Christ. The hypocrite and the heathen do not possess the Spirit of God. They cannot call God Father because when you get saved, the Spirit of God comes in you crying. What does he cry? Abba, Father. Hallelujah. Oh, there's a connection. When a person gets saved, there's a family connection. The Spirit of God comes in us crying, Abba, Father. Abba is that Aramaic term used by small children to address their father. It's a term of endearment. Corresponds very closely to the use of our term daddy. So this is the wonderful privilege of the people of God that we have God as our father. Our family relationship to God is evidenced by our family resemblance. I have a son that people tell me a lot, you know, he looks like his father. Even, you know, people have told me all my life I look like my mother, but now then that I get older, some people are telling me, you look like your father. And my wife says, you're acting more like your father. Boy, <laughs> <laughs> oh, his genes make a difference, don't they? <laughs> Amen. When you got the right genes in you, you know, this, this, is, this is what it means to be a child of God. The Bible tells us you're all children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. In other words, by being in Christ, we exhibit Christ before the world. Every child of God resembles Christ because He is the image of the invisible God and the nature of God is in us, and we resemble our Heavenly Father. 
The child of God is also distinguished by the direction of his life. Every child of God has the same guide, has the same teacher. Paul says in Romans chapter 8 and verse 14, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. And the Bible tells us that the Spirit of God guides us into all truth. Now, He doesn't do that overnight, obviously. And, and Jesus told His disciples that with things He couldn't tell them then, they weren't ready to receive them. And the Holy Ghost is a very wonderful teacher. He guides us, leads us into truth as we're able to take that truth. And, and thank God He don't dump it all on us at one time. Praise God. But leads us and guides us into all truth. And the, uh, the, He corrects our thinking, you know, and brings our thinking in line with the will and Word of God. And as we serve the Lord, I'll tell you, brother, as we serve the Lord and we learn more about Him, our thinking becomes more like that of Christ and we think more like each other because we've got the same teacher. Spirit guides into all truth and He purges our life of every activity and every attitude that belongs to our prior family. The Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians 3.18, But we all, with open face, beholding as in a glass or a mirror the glory of the Lord, are changed, being changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. Amen. Maybe I ought to take a little time right here on that verse of Scripture. You know, the Bible tells us that the Word of God is our mirror. And a man looking into that Word, if he doesn't obey it, he soon forgets what manner of man he is. We see our reflection in the Word of God. We, we understand, we see all of the imperfections, the things that need correcting when we look into the Word of God. But also, that Word of God is the mirror that shows us Christ Jesus the Lord. Jesus said, search the Scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life, and these are they that testify of me. So when we're looking into that mirror, we're not just seeing ourselves. We also see Christ in that mirror. We see in that mirror not only what we are, but what God is making out of us. That He's conforming us to the image of Christ Jesus. And so we are being changed from glory into glory, one level of glory to another level of glory by the Spirit of God. The same mirror that shows us our imperfections also shows us the perfections of Christ and, and tells us where we're going by the Spirit of God. Hallelujah. The child of God is marked, y'all, by this continual improvement in their life in expressing Christ before men. This is what marks the Christian, is his continual improvement in his life in expressing Christ before men. The life of Christ in us requires the death of the desires and deeds that once defined us. 
Paul writes to the Colossians in Colossians chapter 3, verses 5 through 8. Mortify, put to death, therefore your members which are upon the earth, those sinful, earthly things lurking within you. Fornication, uncleanness, that's dirty-mindedness, indecency, inordinate affection, which is uncontrolled passion, evil concupiscence, unholy desires, and covetousness, which is greed, and excessive love of money and things, which the Bible says is idolatry. For which things sake, Paul says, the wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience, in the which ye also walked sometime when ye lived in them or under their power, but now ye also put off all these, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, which is slander, filthy communication out of your mouth. This is what defined us when we were in the old family. But the new life in Christ endows us with new desires and new deeds that define us as the children of God. Those other things defined us as the children of Satan, but we have a new life in Christ. There are deeds and attitudes that define us as the children of God. Paul wrote to the Colossians in chapter 3, verses 12 through 15, Put on, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercies, which means tenderness of heart, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another, that is, bearing with one another's faults, forgiving one another, if any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. And above all these things, put on charity, which is the bond of perfectness, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to the which also ye are called in one body, and be ye thankful. Our new nature produces this new way of thinking and this new way of behaving. It identifies us as the children of God. <clears throat> oh, hallelujah. Praise God. I'm grateful for that, brother. There was a time in my life that my attitude and my deeds defined me as the child of Satan. But now then, God has given me a new kind of life. I rejoice in that. I thank God for that. God gave me a new kind of life. Our new family relationship requires a clean break with the former family. Paul urges the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 6 and 14, Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. And he continues in verses 17 and 18, Wherefore come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. Listen to me now. I will receive you and will be a father unto you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. Praise God. Oh, glory. I'll tell you what, if you want God as your father, 
You got to come out from among the world and be separate, saith the Lord, and, and I'll receive you and I'll be your father and you'll be my sons and daughters. You can't please the world and please God at the same time. One preacher wrote that Jesus didn't divide men into neat categories. He claimed that violence and conflict resulted when we separate people into categories of we and they. Conflict is inevitable, according to him, when we regard others as aliens. But you know what? The Bible talks about we and they. <laughs> and the distinction between the children of Satan and the children of God is very real. And it's very definite. And you can go from being a child of Satan to being a child of God. And from being a child of God to being a child of Satan. There's, there's traffic between the two families, but you can only belong to one or the other. You cannot belong to both at the same time. You've got to belong to one or the other. You can't call God your father while you're living like those in the family of Satan. God has provided a way for us to change families. We don't have to remain alienated from God and from His family, but through repentance of sin and faith in Christ, we can call God our Father. <laughs> I'm telling you, brother, that is so simple, but it is so profound that if you ever get a hold of that, if you ever get a hold of that, it'll transform your prayer life forever. I want you to see, secondly, our, th this prayer um, deals with our affection for the family of God. There's a social element to the Lord's prayer. Because God is not just my Father. He's our Father. Our Father which art in heaven. Jesus didn't give us the option of opting out of His family and still calling Him Father. Nobody can maintain good terms with God and be on bad terms with His body. The Bible tells us in 1 John chapter 4 and verse 20, If a man say, I love God, and hateth his brother... He is a liar, and for he that loveth not his brother whom he hath seen, if he loveth not his brother whom he hath seen, how can he love God whom he hath not seen? You understand that the Lord's Prayer is an intercessory prayer. It involves the community of believers. So we include them in our petitions. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses. Lead us not into temptation. Deliver us from evil. Praying is a family affair. And we cannot succeed as a Christian unless we are motivated to pray not only for our own spiritual health, but for the spiritual health of others as well. Right. 
and failure to intercede for the body of Christ is proof of lapsed membership in the body of Christ. You can't remain a member of the body of Christ and care nothing about the body of Christ. There's a love that unites us together. There's a union not only with Christ, but a union with His body. We are one in Him. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Everybody that's been born again of the Spirit of God is my brother or sister. It doesn't matter where they come from. It doesn't matter what their denomination or movement. It doesn't matter what their race might be. And if they're born again of the Spirit of God, we're all one family in Christ Jesus. And, and we owe them the same love that Christ had for us. You remember Samuel when he was, he'd been rejected as the leader of Israel in favor of a king? And he called Israel together and he declared his intention to continue to serve them in the capacity of an intercessor. He said, God forbid that I should sin against the Lord in ceasing to pray for you. Did you get this? God forbid that I should sin against the Lord in failing to pray for you. Do we sin against the Lord when we fail to pray for the body of Christ, for our brothers and sisters in Christ? Do we not sin against the Lord? You know really that spiritual death is getting a hold in your life when your praying is limited to your own interest. You know, if some of you that need deeper experiences in Christ would catch a greater burden for other people who have a spiritual deficit in their life, I'm telling you, it works that the blessings of God flow in the life of those who become interested in the spiritual welfare of someone else. My grandfather received the baptism with the Holy Ghost while he was around the altar praying for somebody else who was seeking for the baptism with the Holy Ghost. Amen. He's around the altar praying for them to receive the Holy Ghost and God fills him with the Holy Ghost. Praise God. Some years ago, I was preaching in Oklahoma for Brother Darrell Meadow on a Sunday. And that Sunday evening after church, we got word from our home church that my daughter had received the baptism with the Holy Ghost. She had been fasting and praying for the baptism. And the Sunday night while we were away, she followed my daughter-in-law to the altar to pray for her. And while she's praying for my daughter-in-law, my daughter received the baptism with the Holy Ghost. Maybe you ought to try it. <laughs> yeah, maybe you ought to try it. If you, need, if you need to be filled with the Holy Ghost and get concerned not just about yourself but about that other brother and sister that needs the baptism of the Holy Ghost. This is a family affair. You understand that prayer is a family affair. We got a heavenly father. We got brothers and sisters. And prayer is a family affair. And finally, I want you to see that in praying, we have access to the wealth of our heavenly father. 
sons and daughters of God, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Jesus Christ. We have access to the wealth of our Father. Our family connection gives us that access. Relationship is rewarded by answers to prayer. We read in verse 6 of my text, But thou, when thou prayest, enter into thy closet, and when thou hast shut thy door, pray to thy Father, which is in secret. He's already there when you get there. And thy Father, which seeth in secret, himself shall reward thee openly. Your Father is there in your place of prayer. He's in that secret place. He sees you. I want you to get this now because the next time you go to pray, I want you to think in your mind and in your heart, my Father is here. (laughs) He's here. He's here. And His eyes are over the righteous and His ear is open unto their cry. The Bible tells us that the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show Himself strong in behalf of them whose heart is perfect toward Him. Listen to this. In Luke chapter 12 and verse 32, Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sister, do you want prayer? Are you just coming up? Okay, all right. Listen to this. In that verse of Scripture, Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. There are three images in that one verse of Scripture. There's the image of a shepherd. Fear not, little flock. The psalmist said, The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. You know what that means? The Lord is my shepherd. I won't lack for anything. I shall not want. He is my shepherd. He's the shepherd of his flock. I won't want for anything because the Lord is my shepherd. But there's an image of a father in there because it says it's your father's good pleasure to give. And the Bible tells us if you being evil know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your heavenly father give good things to them that ask him? Y'all listening to this? If you know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give good things to them that ask Him? This how much more. This is what you need to get a hold to, brother. If God is that good, if you are that good to your children, how much more is God good to us? Oh, listen, listen to this. In the parable of that prodigal son, Jesus used the Father to represent God. In that parable, and he told, he told his elder son, the father told his elder, elder son in Luke chapter 15 and verse 31, Son, thou art ever with me, and all that I have is thine. This son was complaining about the celebration of his brother's return home. That prodigal got a new robe, a fatted calf, 
But the father said to this elder son, all of that was available to you. And even more was available to you. But this elder son had been content to live without it. How will we feel when it is revealed by God to us at the end of life what could have been ours simply for the asking? (laughs) Woo! Hallelujah! Oh, glory! This could have been yours if you'd have just asked because you've got access to the wealth of your heavenly Father. We're heirs of God and joint heirs with Jesus Christ. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not go to God in prayer. But there's also in this passage the image of a king. It's the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. The image of a king is in that verse of Scripture. And when Esther the queen came before King Ahasuerus to ask for the life of her people, the king held out his golden scepter and said to her, What is thy request? It shall be given to thee to the half of the kingdom. And I think our heavenly Father, who is our king, is holding out the golden scepter and asking the question, what is your request? I've got the kingdom to give you. It's your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom, he says. I'm telling you, brother, God don't want you going around poverty-stricken spiritually when the riches of Christ are available to you and you can be rich in Christ, rich in God's grace, rich in God's power. God has given us access to His riches. Hallelujah. Romans 8, 31, 32 says, What shall we then say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all. Y'all listen to me. How shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Praise God. Hallelujah. God spared not his own son and delivered him up for us all. How shall he not with him also freely give us all things? It's tax time, y'all. You're going to fill out your taxes and tell how many dependents you got. But I'm declaring this morning that I'm a dependent of God. I'm one of God's dependents and, and I'm telling you, He takes good care of me. Hey! Hallelujah! Yes, sir. Everybody here is one of God's dependents and, and God takes good care of us. And, and if you'll ask, brother, God will supply the need in your life here this morning. And we have access to the wealth of our Heavenly Father. We're going to pray, but I, I, you know, I, I just felt like trying to build your faith this morning in your Heavenly Father. Praise God. We don't want to be like the preacher, you know, that uh, he called his church to prayer one evening. said, uh, we're going to pray for the Lord to shut down this bar in our community. 
held a prayer meeting and uh, prayed for God to shut down the bar. Several weeks later, the bar caught on fire and burned up. And so the bar owner found out about the prayer meeting and he brought a suit against the church in court for his, his bar being burned down. So they had court day and the bar owner got up and he said, this church is responsible for my business being burned to the ground. They held a prayer meeting and prayed against my business and the business burned to the ground. And the pastor stood up and said, no, no, said, uh, uh, we did have a prayer meeting. We prayed, but, but we really didn't believe anything was going to happen. It really wasn't our fault. And the judge is sort of studying this situation with bewilderment. He says, I don't quite understand this. We have a bar owner here who believes in the power of prayer and a pastor who don't. Hey, we don't want to be like that pastor, do we? We won't be like that lady praying for rain brings the umbrella. Praise God. That's the kind of people we want to be. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. We want to pray in faith. 